if you guys have your Bibles, I invite you to open up. First Chronicles will be um, a memory after tonight. Let me tell you what I love about uh, First Chronicles 28. As, uh, as we head our way out, here's what I want you to see. David, <clears throat> whom we know in the Scriptures as a man after God's own heart. Someone who made it their life to be all in. Uh, fully committed. Not perfect, but utterly given over. And here's one of the things I think that David understood that sometimes we miss. And that is, uh, in Psalm 37.4, I think he lays it out for us. If you guys want to look there, uh, if you don't, I'll just tell you what it, what it says. But in Psalm 37.4, well, I'll have to look. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. If we want to have a synopsis of David, that's it. Even if you back up and look at the last four chapters that we did, and all the different things that uh, that David was amassing to build the temple. Remember, he's gathering gold and wood and lumber and stone and and preparing all the priesthood and all the guys to serve. What was all that about? That was all, listen, that's all David delighting in the Lord. It wasn't a drudgery for him. For you and I, it's like, it's like reading people's shopping lists. And, 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 and uh, for example, if you were to line up uh, four chapters of a uh, uh, work schedule, who was working what hours? I mean, that's what it was for us. As we look at it. But for David, he's delighting in the Lord. He's so excited to be able to do something for the Lord. He finds his joy and enjoyment in his relationship with God. If we wanted to just break it down to a man after God's own heart, that's it. What in your life, what gives you the greatest pleasure? It could be a lot of things, but for David... It was the Lord. And God says to us, and by the way, Psalm 37.4 is a command. Delight yourself in the Lord. Find your joy, your pleasure, your the benefit of, of, of what your life is all about. Find it in capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh. The Yahweh. The, the proper name of God. To find your delight in Him. In Him. Not in the stuff He gives, not in the blessings that He provides, but you find your delight, your joy, your pleasure in your relationship with God. That was David. That was a lot of what, of what David was about. And that's what those last, those last few chapters were. Now when we come to chapter 28, listen, David is, is coming down to the wire. In a couple of chapters, we're going to bury him. So he's, he's constantly, at every opportunity, trying to encourage those over whom he reigns to make God the thing they enjoy most in life. To make their relationship with God, that's a pretty challenging concept, by the way. To make your greatest joy your relationship with the Lord. I've been reading this last week, uh, 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 some stuff about worship and praise. And one of the things that it was, it's kind of a, 
a philosophical book. One of the things they're talking about is how people struggle with the concept of God asking for our praise. You know, why does God need my praise? But it's interesting, C.S. Lewis said, praise spontaneously erupts from our lives over anything we enjoy. If you enjoy something, you will praise it. If you enjoy dirt bike riding, you'll praise it. And not only will you praise it, but you will tell others about it. And when we, if we bring that around, you know, whatever it is, uh, movies, books, uh, certain music, whatever, it's not that that's wrong to enjoy, but whatever we enjoy, when we really enjoy something, our life bubbles over in spontaneous praise. So when we struggle with the idea or the concept of worship and praise, the problem may be we're not enjoying God. And that might be because of our philosophy, the way we choose to look at the Lord and and our relationship to Him. Maybe we're making it something it doesn't need to be, but Psalm 37.4 is clear. And that, by the way, is not the only place in the Bible that it tells you to delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And so here David's doing that. David is delighting in the Lord and he's, and he's, he's got some words of wisdom to lay out not only for uh, um, his son, which we'll see in a minute, but also all those people we've been talking about. Remember the priesthood, the worship leaders he put together, the doorkeepers, all of those guys? Look, look at chapter 28, verse 1. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel. Remember we had this lesson in Hebrew as the same as in Greek. All means? Thank you. So we've got that. So all the leaders of Israel, and he breaks it down. The officers of the tribes, we talked about them last week. The captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, we talked about them. The stewards over the substance and possessions of the kings. So that's the guy, the stewards who watch over all the king's property, we talked about them. Um, uh, the end uh, of his sons, with the officials... All the people who are serving within the temple, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of valor. That's everything we've done probably in the last ten chapters. So David gathers them all. He brings them all together because he wants to be able to pass on to them this idea. What is that idea? That you will never be more fulfilled in your life. You'll be never more satisfied than when you learn to delight in the Lord. When you delight in Him, to spend time with Him, to talk with Him, when praise spontaneously is coming out of your life because you're finding your joy in the Lord. What does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is what? Something we ought to have around us? Yeah, it's my strength, right? It's my, it's my strength. It's what strengthens me to go through my days. Well, if I don't have joy in the Lord, then I won't have the joy of the Lord. Will I? Where do I get the joy of the Lord? Of the Lord means that joy belongs to Him. That God, sometimes this is how we picture God. Sometimes we picture God as angry and bitter and upset at us in heaven, like a father we don't want to interrupt. Like if we knock on a door, Dad's in a bad mood. If I knock on a door, Dad's going to answer, oh, it's going to be bad. All I want to do is ask him for a cookie, but I'm going to get the lecture about how he had to walk in the snow, barefoot through, through snow, glass, you know, 
chased by uh, saber-toothed tigers the whole way. And if he ever slowed down, something would devour him. You know the stories. They get worse every time you got them. But that's not God. That's not God. That's, that is an improper view of God. Listen, it's kind of mind-boggling a little bit. If we consider that God is all-powerful, that's one of the attributes of God, right? That God is sovereign. That God knows all of His plans are going to come to fruition, right? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, that God's going to tie it all up in a nice little bow. Does that sound like somebody who's out of control and frustrated by what's going on around him? Or like someone who understands how everything fits together and he can have joy. He is joy incarnate. So for us to experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, I have to have joy in the Lord. That's got to be my relationship. Not just words on a page. Not I, I know who His people are and the things He said and the stuff He's done and what He commands me to do. Not just that, but that I have, I delight in Him. See, that's David. And David in that delight, He's got words to say to these guys. Look at verse 2. So King David rose to his feet. Now at this point, King David is old. If you were reading in uh, in Samuel, this would be the time when he has Abishag, uh, 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 a virgin girl who, who solely exists in, in order to make sure he stays warm. They don't sleep together. There's no weird stuff there. But that was what they would do in those days when a man became feeble. But King David is so excited about the joy in the Lord that he has, and he knows I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to my father's. I'm going to go see the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to visit that baby I lost several years ago. I got so many things I'm looking forward to, but I got something else I still need to tell you. It's exactly the same thing as when we read 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is Paul's swan song. His final words before his head is lopped off while the axe is being sharpened outside. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday. This is the same thing for David, man. David is in this place, excited to share. He's he's very, very old. Standing up is not easy for him, but nevertheless, he rises to his feet and he says, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. David stands up and says, man, my heart's desire was to build God a house. But then in verse 3 it says, but God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name. And he tells him why. Because you have been a man of war and shed much blood. So God said, you're a man of war. The man I want to build my house, the house of rest, I want him to be a man of peace. Now the only reason Solomon is a man of peace is because David, his father, came before him and fought all the battles. And he delivers the kingdom over to his son. And so his son is going to take that kingdom, be a man of peace, and build the house of God. Now as David continues, he says... However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father. I want you to listen, because in the next four, five, six verses, 
you're going to hear this theme over and over and over and over and over again. The Lord chose me. The Lord chose Judah. The Lord chose Solomon. See, he's celebrating in the fact that God knows what he's doing. That God knows where the pieces come together. That he doesn't have to understand how it all works. And why doesn't God want Adonijah? And why didn't God choose one of his other children? He don't need to understand that. All he needs to know is I know who God chose. I know God knows what he's doing. And I find my joy in him. And the joy of God becomes my strength to help me go on through my day. To help me live my life, to help me finish my race. That's what David's finishing. So he first starts with the people. Look, it says, how, or he starts with himself. How the God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. He has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And we knew about that in Genesis chapter 50, guys. In Genesis chapter 50, when uh, Israel prophesies over his sons, he says that Judah will have the scepter. What's the scepter? Now what the king holds, right? Judah's going to be the kingly family. But the first king came from Benjamin. But you see, God wasn't surprised. It didn't shock him. Oh my gosh, the world got out of control for a minute and God had to get it back in control. No, he had it sovereignly. He understood Saul was going to be king, but the, the kingdom was going to settle under Judah. Exactly how it did. So God chose. God chose Judah. God chose David. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all of Israel. Now what does all this show? Two things. One, sovereignty of God, which sometimes becomes a difficult concept. Two, the grace of God. Nowhere in here do you see it was because of something special in David or something special in Judah or something special in Solomon. The choice was God's. His grace. The grace of God bestowed upon the people of God. In verse 5 it says, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now here's what you won't hear in First Chronicles. What you won't hear in First Chronicles is that Adonijah, one of David's sons, is making a play for the throne. He's backed by David's general, Joab. Joab doesn't like this concept about this God being in charge. And occasionally Joab tries to be in charge himself. If you read any of the, of the history of David, you'll see that in the life of Joab. So Joab is back in Adonijah. David's having a meeting with how many of the leaders? All the leaders, right? So Joab's there. His sons too, right? Yes, sons are there. All the people are gathered. And he is saying, God chose Solomon. Right here in this concept, not only do we see the sovereignty of God, not only do we see the grace of God, but you also see human responsibility. You see human responsibility because David told them all. God chose Solomon. Get on board. You are now faced with a choice. Agreed? One of two choices. Accept the fact that Solomon's king or rebel. For the most part, they accept that Solomon is king. Except for Adonijah and Joab. And Adonijah and Joab 
try to start a rebellion that gets snuffed out by David, really, before it ever gets a chance to get going. David anoints Solomon king early, before he ever dies. He has a great procession party. Solomon's king announces Solomon's kingdom to all the world. And then he makes sure that Solomon and uh, his other generals take care of the rebellion, those guys who who were rebelling. But these guys who heard the words of David have an opportunity to say, yes, Solomon's king. I'm going to get behind what God's doing. Do you ever find yourself struggling about what God's doing? Well, think back. Wasn't that long ago, Saul was king. Saul wasn't a good king. He had one good victory. He had a lot of struggles. He was constantly upset with David. Wasn't he? But in the example of David, what do we see? David was on God's program, wasn't he? David didn't delight in the king. He didn't delight in Saul. Who did he delight in? The Lord. And what did he know about the Lord? If God wants me to be king, what will he do? He'll take Saul out of the way. Do I have to do it? Do I have to move him? Should I throw spears at him? No, it works the other way, right? Saul threw spears at David, and David ducked. But David didn't throw spears back, did he? He just waited for God to do his thing. He was on God with God's program. God, it's in your hands. He delighted in the Lord. That's what makes him a man after God's own heart. Even here at the end of his life. Not perfect, not sinless, not without mistake. But his attitude is an attitude of, God's got this. Get with God's program. So he tells all the guys, Solomon's going to be the king. Now he said to me in verse 6, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house. I am my courts. What's it say? For I have chosen him. God said, I chose Solomon. In fact, God changed Solomon's name. Some of you will remember what that name was. And Samuel, it tells us, God chose Solomon. He loved Solomon and he changed Solomon's name. It was a pet name God had for Solomon. He called him Jedediah. Which means, beloved of God. God said, I love him. When did he love Solomon? When he was born. What had Solomon done yet? Nothing. What do we call that? Grace. Grace. God's grace bestowed on Solomon. You know what God told David? Have you ever looked at Solomon's life and wondered why did God continue to bless him his whole life? Solomon got off track, didn't he? He he was disobedient later on in life. His life, he didn't he didn't finish well. But you think, man, Saul messed up. Saul messed up. Let's let's say Saul messed up four times. I'll count them later. Saul messed up four times. By the fourth time Saul messed up, the Lord said, I take the kingdom away from you. He took his Holy Spirit away from him and Saul was left alone. How come come God didn't do the same thing to uh, Solomon? Do you know? Hmm? Solomon loved God, sure. But better than that, Because David did. Do you know what God told David? Listen, you guys can look it up. God said to David, I'm going to 
put my spirit on your son and I will not take him away no matter what. And so from, for Solomon's life from the beginning to the end, the spirit of God was with him. God never pulled the spirit away. He wasn't great, wasn't obedient, didn't do everything he should have done. You guys know anybody like that? But the Spirit of God was with him. And God's hand of blessing was upon him. Even though. What do we call that? I still call it grace. Ephesians 2.9 is still always going to be true, isn't it? We are saved. How? You are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Right? Who gave it to us? God did. It's His gift. It's ours to receive. Right? Isn't that what it says in John chapter 1? For to as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become or be called the sons of God to everyone who believed on His name. Grace of God. So you've seen it. Look, a lot of times people start to develop these pictures of God and they think God of the Old Testament wasn't saved. And He got saved when Jesus came and now He's a nice, loving, and good God. I want you to understand, God is immutable. Scripture says, the Lord says, I am immutable. I change not. He has not changed His program at all. He is, as He has always been, a God of mercy, grace, love, justice. He is good powerful all of those things still in every aspect are part of who God is so as he lays this out he says Solomon is mine God says I chose him I chose him to be my son and I will be his father wow when I look at that I chose him to be my you guys see it I chose him to be my son and I will be his father Then when I read Luke chapter 15, totally different mindset for me. Luke chapter 15 is what a lot of people call the the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. When did the father stop being the father? Never. When did the son stop being the son? Never. Pretty cool concept, right? Pretty cool. We look at, at, at Solomon... The benefit of knowing how Solomon's going to end up. When this is written, you know, everybody doesn't know the end from the beginning yet. Anyway, he says, Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever. And then there's a humongous word next. You see that humongous word after I will establish his kingdom forever? What's that humongous word? If. Oh, 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 man. I hate that word. If. He is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Look, let's simplify that. Because people get all caught up in what what does God want me to do. I think it all goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. But I kind of like Psalms 37. I think they say the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the, in the great Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God. And you shall, what's the next phrase? You guys know? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Right? 
I don't think that's any different than Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I don't think it's different. I think delighting in the Lord, loving the Lord, I think that all comes together. If He will stand steadfast, if He will keep my commandments, and we get all worried, 613 commandments. Look, there's more than 613, actually, if we go through... Uh, the scripture and take a look at it. not only are there 613 commandments in the Bible, but then you had the Mishnah and uh, what's the other one? There's no, I can't think of the name of it. Anyways, they added hundreds more commandments. And people get all hung up. What's the commandment? Well, I need to do this and I need to do that and I need to stop doing this and I need to stop doing that. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Delight in the Lord. That's your commandment. Live it steadfast. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do it steadfast. How did Solomon not do that? The Bible tells us he multiplied wives, he multiplied gold, he multiplied horses, and in the end of his life, the multiplicity of wives turned his heart where? Away from God. He had a divided heart. Hey, God was still in there somewhere, but he wasn't the prime passion. You you with me? He wasn't where he found his enjoyment. He was finding his enjoyment other places. So the Lord says here, I will establish his kingdom forever if he's steadfast. If he stands in me. You think that's different for you? You think God will establish your kingdom? You think God will establish your family? You think God will establish the things you want to do if you will? Delight in Him. It, he wants us, folks. It's not. I don't think it's. Um, <laughs> uh, the more I read, the less I think it's optional. He wants it all. He wants your whole heart, and that's where we'll find the greatest satisfaction. That's where we'll find the greatest pleasure. Verse eight. Now, therefore, in the sight of all of Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God. Be careful, this is David talking to Solomon, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children forever. David says, listen, I want you to hear me, Solomon, in front of everybody, in front of God Himself. Listen, be careful to seek out all the commandments of God. Seek them out. Every king was supposed to write the Scripture. He was supposed to write a copy of the Scripture so that he would go through the entire Bible, writing it out, understanding the requirements, the things that God was looking for. David is telling him, Land, stand, stand tall with the Lord. Know what it is that this relationship with God is all about. Fully understand it. Look in verse 9, he says, As for you, my son Solomon, what's that? Know the God of your father. He says, know Him. That word in the Hebrew for know is uh, the word acknowledge. Acknowledge the God of your Father. You guys know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge Him. Same word. In all your ways, know the Lord your God. In all your ways, know 
Him. Acknowledge Him. Know the Lord your God. Two things He specifically tells them. One, know the God of your Father. And two, serve Him with a loyal heart. You guys see that word loyal? That word loyal means to be undivided. An undivided heart. Or to be unified or united. The same term would be uh, one accord. To be in one accord. That your heart would be in one accord. United, undivided, holy into the Lord God Almighty. But that doesn't mean you don't have other interests. You guys get what I'm saying? I'm just saying the premium, prime, the prime spot within your heart, the centrality of all you are, is delighting in God. I want to know Him. I want to understand more about Him. I want to to tap into the joy of the Lord so that I'm experiencing that joy. I naturally came with sarcasm. There's nowhere in the Bible where I will find that God has sarcasm in Him that He gives me. I don't think it came from Him. Occasionally, I try to use it and pull off a joke. And sometimes it works. And sometimes it don't. But I know joy comes from Him. And so when joy is evident in my life... I know that I have something from my Father that is being shown in me. You with me? That joy that God wants us to have. He says, serve the Lord with a loyal heart, undivided heart. Two things. Know the Lord, serve the Lord. Know the Lord, serve the Lord. But I think if you get the first one, the second one comes. I don't think you have to make that happen. I don't think you have to labor, oh, i got to serve God. I need to find a way to serve God. I don't think so. If you delight in the Lord, just like praise spontaneously comes out of us for the things that we enjoy. In fact, I think praise makes the things we enjoy more enjoyable. If I sit quietly and watch a football game and they score a touchdown, I say, it's not so much fun. They score a touchdown and I go, wow! I jump out of the thing, out of my chair and my wife screams in the other room, what's the matter, what's the matter? Then I know, man, oh, that was good. That's a good game. That my enjoyment is made full by the act of praise. In the same way, when we delight in the Lord, praise erupts. I think, I think service is the same thing. You love God, you do stuff for Him. I love my wife, I want to find things to do for her. Now, not everything I do for her do I pull off. Some things I think are going to be really cool, and she didn't even notice. Some things I think are going to be really lame, and that was a really cool thing. You know, we've been married almost 50 years already, and... (laughs) Okay, that might be an exaggeration, but if I try to tell you the real number, and I get it wrong, it's worse than if I exaggerate it. So we've been married nigh on the numbers I never thought we could ever reach. And, uh, and, and I'm still learning about her. And I'm still every bit as in love with her as I was back in the beginning. And I and am, am enjoying growing in my understanding of who she is as a person and what drives her. And, and she's growing. That's why things continue to change, right? Are you the same person you were 20 years ago? Listen, if you think you are, you are deceived. I'll, uh, I'll just 
Come around me some, and I'll share with you my gift of sarcasm, and that'll help some of that ideas. But the, the concept is we're growing, right? We're growing, continually growing, continually growing in, in what's going on. Well, when I serve the Lord, I want to serve the Lord with a loyal heart, a united heart, but I think that naturally flows from a desire to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to know more. I want to know more about Him. I want to know how He feels, what He thinks. I want to know His joy. I want to know as much as I can. How am I going to know the Lord more? Sure. I think the best way is in here. The Bible says faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's all in here. You know the psalmist? I, I wish I, I didn't bring it with me. I meant to share it with you guys. And so I won't be able to share it with you. I'll, I'll have to try to remember next time. But there are four psalms specifically that are so incredible to, to link to your personal reading where the psalmist is saying, Lord, uh, you know, incline my heart towards you. Lord, open my eyes that I might understand your precepts. Lord, unite my heart. Lord, satisfy me with you. Those are all all different psalms, four different psalms, where the psalmist is asking for the same things we're looking for in our devotion, that we're looking for as we want to know God more. And I'll try to remember, and I'll give you the addresses, and you guys can write them down, but that's that's that concept. I want to serve the Lord with a loyal heart united. And what's the second part? Not just my heart, But what's the second thing that needs to be involved? My mind. The mind, Hebrew mindset, the mind was not your brain. The mind is your soul. It speaks of your will. It's your will and your heart. Okay? Your heart and your will. Just that I... I I long to serve Him. I want to serve Him. I want to unite my will with His. A willing mind. A willing soul. Willing to do. For the Lord... Listen why. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. Doesn't the Bible tell us that somewhere? Doesn't the Bible tell us that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the thoughts and the intent of the heart? Same exact thing, isn't it? Isn't that the same thing that that he's saying here in Chronicles? Sure. That the Lord searches all hearts. By the way, that all means how many? Oh. Maybe you guys have heard people talk before. Uh, I'm not going to finish Chronicles if I keep doing this. Okay. Maybe sometimes you guys have heard people talk about the the endless forever argument about... uh, um, uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, uh, uh, God, uh, an emphasis on the choice of God or the election of God, or an emphasis on the love of God, and and each ignores the other, and 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 they they have a hard time finding the river of truth that runs down the middle. Listen, the Lord searches how many hearts? All. So when the Bible talks about you have been predestined according to the will of God. Have you been predestined without God knowing your heart? No. The Bible says right here, for the Lord searches how many hearts? All means? So that would be all of the hearts, right? 
So if God searches the heart, and He knows the heart of man, is God able to predestine a man? Does God know who will be His and who won't? Does that take away your ability to choose? No, it confirms your ability to choose because God knows your heart. You guys with me? By the way, that's in Chronicles. God doesn't change. That's the way God has always functioned. That's the way God continues to function. He searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. So if you seek Him, He will be found by you. I want you to hear that. No man has ever gone to hell, lost his salvation, or somehow ended up you know, in opposition to God without choosing to be in opposition to God. Because the Word of God says, if you seek God, what will happen? Yeah. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. I like how it says it. He will be found by you. You're not going to find Him. You can't find God yourself. God's got to reveal Himself to you. But if you want to know God, will you know Him? Yeah. You guys catch it? That's some incredible points of Scripture that we want to grab a hold of. He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. Now, in this verse, who is making the choice? We are, right? If you seek Him, He will be found by you. If you forsake Him, He'll forsake you forever. Who made the choice? You did. Does God know what your choice is? Sure, He searches all the hearts and knows the intent. Doesn't He? That's what the Scripture tells us. So He says... To his son. He's sharing this to his son. Know the Lord, serve the Lord, united heart, a willing mind, because God knows your heart and he knows your thoughts. And if you want him, you can have him. But if you don't, you won't. So consider now, for the Lord has chosen you. That's pretty cool. Look, I I see wrapped up in this whole section the sovereignty of God, human responsibility, the grace of God, the love of God. It's all over. I can choose to emphasize one or the other, but I'm not going to do it because it's all the Word of God. if, If it's hard to reconcile in my mind, that just means it fits God. Because if it wasn't difficult to reconcile, it was probably created by a man. God is... A little bigger than us, isn't he? But we think he has to somehow exist within our ability to understand only. There's, you don't think there's room somewhere for the the bigness of God to be outside your ability to completely understand? Well, in case you think so, the Lord said, "My ways aren't your ways." That's right. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the difference between mine and you. So, in light of that verse, there ought to be some things about God I have a hard time reconciling. Right? So this is what he's telling his son. You were chosen to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Be everything you can be in Christ. That's what that's 
That's what David's telling Solomon. Be everything that you can be. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its house, its treasury, its upper chamber, its inner chamber, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, of the treasuries for the dedicated things, also the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord and for all the articles of service in the house of the Lord. David delighted in the Lord and God revealed to him exactly how God wanted the priesthood divided uh, exactly how God wanted worship to be carried on, exactly how God wanted the sacrificial system to work, exactly how God wanted the temple to be built. David had it all by the Spirit, and he gave it to Solomon. He gathered all the building materials. He had all the plans. He did everything he could possibly do that God would allow him to do because he delighted in the Lord. And he handed it all over to his son. I don't get to build the son. you got to. There are some things in our life we just have to pass on. There are some things in our life, our legacy, that we got to give to our kids. They got to do the next, they got to, they got to travel the next bit of road. We don't get to do it. We got to give it to them. We are responsible for handing to them understanding of a life of faith. Then if we mess it up, then we're responsible to pass on to our grandkids the life of faith. There's always time. There's always opportunity. There's somebody we can pass that legacy through or to if we're willing to take the time. This is what David is doing. He gave gold by weight for things of gold. For all articles used in every kind of service. Also silver for all articles of silver by weight. For all articles used in every kind of service, the weight of the lampstands of gold and the lamps of gold by the weight of each lampstand and its lamps and the lampstands of silver by weight and the lampstand with its lamps according to the use of each lampstand. And by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for every table, the silver for the tables of silver, also pure gold for the forks, the basins, the pitchers of pure gold and the golden bowls. He gave gold by weight for every bowl, for the silver, for the silver for the weight for every bowl. He refined gold by weight for the altar of incense and for the construction of the chariot, that is, the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by His hand upon me all the works of these plans. So the plans of the temple and all that division was God instructing David. And all David did was delight in the Lord. Love God. He just loved Him. And God showed him all this stuff. See, the only one that ever happened to? What about Daniel? Daniel, Daniel was called beloved of God, just like Solomon. Daniel was called beloved of God. Did God show Daniel anything? Oh, yeah, He showed Daniel quite a bit. Read the book of Daniel. It's some wild stuff He showed him. What about uh, John? John was called beloved of God. Did God reveal anything special to John? At a whole last book in the Bible everyone's so afraid of? The book of Revelation? Wasn't that God revealing to John? What do we have in, in just those examples? And we can pull out more. But what do we have in those examples? Men 
who chose to delight in the Lord, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, and God revealed stuff to them. He showed them things, just like He showed David, just like He showed Moses, just like He showed Abraham. I mean, if we take a little bit of time, we can come up with a bunch of names, can't we? If you need some help coming up with some names, go to Hebrews chapter 11, and there's a whole list of them right there. And I don't think that's comprehensive. I think there's more. So we we see God moving and working in David. And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage. You guys never heard something like this in the Bible before, have you? Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God. My God will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Does that sound any different than Joshua chapter 1? Moses handing off the, the, the nation to Joshua. Joshua handing off the nation to the judges who would come after him. David handing off the nation to his son Solomon. Passing down of the legacy. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. Every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship. For every kind of service will be leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. And that's all the stuff we've studied up into this part. He gives it all to them. All the divisions, all those things, all those genealogies, all that handed to his son. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And by some estimates, I always get Solomon and Josiah confused. One was eight and the other was twelve when they began to reign as king. So, of course, David would say he's young and inexperienced. Anybody think their eight-year-old is ready to run a country? Oh, how about your twelve-year-old? Oh. So it kind of makes sense, right? He says, my son is, is, that's why we had all that rebellion. Remember I told you there's all this stuff going on? Because that doesn't make any sense that God would choose a kid until you really spend time studying the life of Christ. And gosh, he had this thing, you know, every time he showed up among a group of people, who came to him? The little children. And everybody's trying to stop the children from coming to him. But Jesus would tell them, don't stop the little children. If you want to see the the kingdom of God, you must become like one of them. Isn't that what he said? So is it all that amazing that God, before the incarnation of Christ, would choose to use a child to lead a nation? I don't find that outside of God's ability by any sense of the imagination. In fact, a child who recognizes that he's not ready might be just the kind of person you want. Let me tell you, an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old couldn't screw up our country any worse than it's screwed up right now. I don't think so. You have to try to mess stuff up this bad. We might want to put up a 8 or 12-year-old. I think it's illegal, but you might think about it. So here's what David says. The work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. So David's like, man, this temple's really important. And my son's young and he's inexperienced and he's going to be ruling. So for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. 
How much did David put into preparation for the temple? How much did David put in to delighting in the Lord? How much did David put in to loving God? He said, with all my might, gold for the gold, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones for stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance because, moreover, because I have set my affection, my love, my heart, everything that's in me on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I had prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. Jesus said, Unless you renounce everything, you cannot be my disciple. What, what is it that David's doing here? He gave it all. He gave everything. Lock, stock, barrel. He didn't care about none of that stuff. Did Solomon need his gold and silver? What did Solomon need? God. Well, think back to Abraham. Abraham had two sons, right? We remember their names? Ishmael and Isaac. Son of promise, son of the flesh. Oh, except, you know, when you looked at them when they were little, they looked the same. Right? When Ishmael's 16 years old, he's picking on his brother Isaac. Is there anybody who has been 16 and not picked on their little brother? Were you ever picked on? Yeah, see? I tell you. So, that's something that happens all the time. Sarah says, oh, we got to send Ishmael away. And, and Abraham's like, look, you know, last time I listened to you, I had Ishmael. And now, first you want me to have him, then you want me to send him away. I'm not listening to you anymore. And God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, listen to your wife. So Abraham sent Ishmael. Listen, don't think for a second Abraham didn't love Ishmael. Abraham loved Ishmael. What did Ishmael need that Abraham had? He just needed God. So what did Abraham give him when he turned him out? Nothing. He turned him out to the desert with one skin of water. You know one skin of water is not going to get you across the desert, right? And people will look at that and say, Oh, Abraham don't care about his son. He's just trying to get him killed. He just wants him to die. No, he doesn't. What Abraham wants Ishmael to know more than anything else in life is God. So he made no provision for Ishmael. He just turned him out. And they ran out of water. And Ishmael passed out and his mom laid him under a bush and went away so she could, didn't have to look at him to watch him die. She went away and lay down under another bush. And she cried. You remember what happened? The God who sees showed up. Gave provision. That's the greatest gift Abraham could give his son. Ishmael would spend the rest of his life knowing God is real. He met me in the desert when I was dying. He delivered me. That's why from Ishmael's family came 12 princes. Because God told Abraham, I will take care of your son. 
Do you believe that? I catch myself sometimes trying to bail my children out of trouble. Sometimes I catch myself wanting to take their sides in, in different altercations, whether it's at work or at, at, with friends or whoever. What's the best thing I could ever give my kids? God. That's what they need. That's what David is giving Solomon. He's giving him God. He gave everything. He didn't give Solomon the gold. He gave it to God. 3,000 talents of gold. By the way, a talent was 75 to 125 pounds. So you do the math. 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir. By the way, Ophir was the best gold in the Middle East. He didn't give God the worst. He gave God the best. 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses. The gold for the things of gold, silver for silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? So not only did David give everything, but he stood in front of everybody and Solomon and said, Now, I gave everything. What are you going to give? That's what David said. Which of you will consecrate himself to the Lord? Then the leaders of the father's houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and hundreds, the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They offered willingly. You know how else they offered? They offered hilariously. You ever read that anywhere in the Bible? Well, it's a New Testament thing, right? God just wants us to give joyfully, but only in the New Testament. They offered willingly. Look, they gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury and the Lord of the hand of Je- uh, Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people did what? They complained. Oh, gone, we had to give all that. What's it say? They rejoice. Same word. They rejoice. God doesn't want nothing you can't give out of a joyful heart. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? They rejoice for they had offered willingly. Why did they rejoice? Because they gave it of their, of their own free will. They made a choice to give and they gave with joy. Spontaneous praise they gave to what they cherished. And they cherished God. So they gave, giving to Him was no problem. Because with a loyal heart, what was loyalty? Undivided heart, right? Singleness of purpose, united heart. They had offered willingly to who? To the Lord. They gave it to the Lord. Did they give it to King David? That's not what the Bible says. What's the Bible say? They gave it to who? The Lord. They gave to the Lord and King David also Rejoice greatly. That means not only did King David rejoice greatly, the word also means so did all the people. There was this huge rejoicing taking place. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. Listen to what he said. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor 
come from You. And You reign over all. In Your hand is power and might. In Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank You and praise Your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly as this. For all things come from You. And of Your own, we have given You. What's David saying? All we gave You, God, was Yours already anyway. We're just giving You Your stuff. We're giving You Your stuff. For we are aliens and pilgrims before You, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without help, without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build You a house for Your holy name is from Your hand and is all Your own. I know also, my God, that You test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now, with joy, I have seen Your people who are present here to offer willingly to You. David's rejoicing because not only is he filled with the joy of the Lord, because he delights in the Lord, but the people are filled with the joy of the Lord because they delight in the Lord. It has erupted into spontaneous praise and they've given of all their stuff. Freely gave whatever they wanted to give. They just gave it. And David is rejoicing over it. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. Oh God, this moment right now, God, just freeze this moment and concrete it and cement it so that this is the heart of the people forever. That'd be pretty cool, huh? Um, God won't do that. Every generation's got to make their choice. But what a glorious day it must have been, huh? Wow, what an incredible thing. And then he says, And give to my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. You pray for your son. You pray for your daughter. You pray for your kids. That's what David's doing. Give him a loyal heart. Is it too ever too soon to pray for your kids? What if you don't have any kids yet? Still not too soon. What if you got other kids? Are there other kids we could be praying for? You know, if you go over to the park on any given night, school night, 30, 9 o'clock, sun's coming down, you know there's still kids out there? And nobody's watching? And nobody really cares if they came home or they didn't? I'm not talking about L.A. I'm not talking about some other place. I'm talking about here. You know, when we went over to the skate park late at night and we, we pick up a bunch of hamburgers to feed them, some of them kids ain't ate yet that day. That's not somewhere else. That's not, you know, Ethiopia. I'm talking about Buell. Are there kids that need prayer? There are some people who try to sell me we should not be doing anything special for them. I, I don't get that concept. But... I see a need. 
I see a need. What did David do? And he prayed. Prayed for Solomon. That's what we see. He prayed for him. And David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. And they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. And on the next day, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and they drank before the Lord. What's that phrase? With great gladness. That sounds like a humdrawer. I've got to go to church. Think about the gifts they're given. A thousand... Any ranchers here want to donate a thousand head of cattle? What's a steer go for? Times a thousand. That's what they're offering. Not out of compulsion. Out of a joyful heart erupting in praise because they delight in the Lord. And that joy is erupted in their life and they don't care about that stuff. It's just stuff. They're glad. They're happy. Do you know how people go to a doctor every day of the week to get pills to make them happy? But the Bible says that you'll find that happiness when you make your happiness the Lord. That's what it says. With great gladness, on that day they made Solomon the son of David king for the second time. Remember I told you there was a sneaky coronation early? This is the second time. And anointed him before the Lord to be the leader and Zadok to be the priest. And Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered. And all of Israel obeyed him. That little kid built the greatest kingdom Israel ever saw. That little kid. Because he had the one thing he needed. It wasn't an education. It wasn't gold and silver. Or a woman to love or a family to take care of him. What was the thing he needed? God. He had the Lord. That's all he needed. All the leaders and the mighty men and all the sons of King David submitted themselves to the king. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel, bestowed on him such royal majesty as as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over Israel. The period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years in Hebron. 33 years in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. With all his reign... And his might. And the events that happened to him and to Israel and to all the kingdoms of the land. And David is gone. First Chronicles is over. Never fear. Second Chronicles cometh. There's more to discover. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank You for this opportunity that we have to study Your Word. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive what You're, what you're laying out for us, God. And that we would just be like Bereans, Lord. I don't have to believe it because I say it. God, I just pray that 
hearts will be made hungry to know, to devour the Word of God, to, to one who ingests all that you have, to know you. To know you in greater and greater degrees. That, to, to know you is something God, your Word, calls us to in the Old Testament as well as the New. In fact, Paul says the same thing. That I might know Him. The power of His resurrection. 